Welcome back to Trends with Friends episode six. Uh, this episode is a first for us. We have our first guest on Trends with Friends, Ted Mers. Ted, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. Yeah, we're going to get into... Go ahead, Oh, Howard. sorry, Riley. I'm, I'm jumping into your host spot. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we're going to talk about AI, uh, maybe some social stuff with Ted later. But we are going to start and kick off, as always, with JC Peretz and chart art. Uh, so, JC, how are how are the markets looking this week? Tell us, JC. Listen, some, I mean, stocks, some f- stocks are going up. Some stocks are going down. Some countries are making new all-time highs again and again. France, UK, Denmark, Japan keeps on rocking. Uh, and the United States, particularly the indexes that have a, a ton of growth exposure, uh, are really the ones struggling the most the exact opposite of what we got so accustomed to uh, for over a decade of U.S. outperformance, growth stocks outperforming. Now it's the, com- the countries with a lack of growth exposure, with a ton of industrials and natural resources that are doing the best. And, and those trends continue. Those trends persist. Uh, and that's what we continue to see. So I'm looking at 4150 on the S&P. That's the anchored VWAP off the all-time highs from a little over a year ago. We're still stuck below that. You know, seen a lot of overhead supply around that 4150, 4200 on the S&P 500 going back, you know, four, five, six months. So that remains overhead supply. I would expect more and more choppiness at that index's uh, level. Uh, but the components, the stuff going on, the stuff happening underneath the surface, we keep seeing more stocks making new highs, more countries, more sectors. Uh, that's bull market behavior. Yeah, so, so what ch- it's... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to ask JC, what charts do you want us to take a look at first? Yeah, Pell, let's just pull a couple, because I don't think there's that much going on. We had the Fed meeting where we had Powell's comments yesterday. I don't know. If, I bet you Ted knows everything about that, so we're going to let him comment. He, uh, you're red. At up. least, at least somebody was watching. I didn't know so people still watch those. Things. I can't watch. I, uh, you know. So does the, JC, does give, it us, give us a couple. Does anybody trips. care about the Fed really? Obviously, care? people do, Phil. People okay, do. So okay, people care. It's like okay. it's like people saying they don't care what Elon Musk is tweeting. People do. People do. People care. Okay. People I care. definitely do not care what Elon Musk is tweeting. I. You are good you. at that. <laughs> Keep going. All right, pick a couple um, charts for Riley. Sure. So look at that Nasdaq chart, Riley. You know, I think that really tells a, a, a beautiful story underneath the surface. Investors love to forget that this is a market of stocks. Not a stock market. Uh, and this is just exhibit A. This is the NASDAQ composite up above. As you can see, it continued to make lower lows into the back half of last year. But by the time the index was putting in those lows, there weren't there weren't any stocks left that were still going down. Everything had already bottomed. Earlier in the year, uh, the majority of stocks bottomed in June of last year. That's why we talk about, you know, we're nine months into this bull market. Or you can even say we're nine months since the end of the last bear market. You know, call it what you want. But we've been in an environment since last June where stocks continue to go up despite what some American large-cap growth-heavy indexes might suggest. Most stocks all over the world have been going up. They continue to go up uh, just because the S&P has way too much growth exposure. That's not not my fault. I don't don't care. You know, why should you let that um, impact how much money you're making in the market? It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, go where the money's flowing, and American growth stocks just happen to be the worst place in the world. Uh, industrials, materials, energy stocks, I, I think those secular trends uh, will continue into the rest of the year. Hang on, that was a great chart. Can we pull that back up, Ryan? Not to block out your face, but, like, wow. 
I mean, I think what you're saying, even JC, is like, I, I didn't realize, I mean, there's so many great ways to look at data, and Ted, uh, I'll introduce Ted properly in a few minutes, but um, that was a nasty, nasty pullback. Like, I didn't know, it was like the gross was 17,000 to 10, so we were in the 35, 40% pullback on the indexes. And now you're seeing the, like you're saying, JC, it's the big name, like Google still, like, so there is, even though it was such a nasty pullback, tech is relatively not as bad as you think, because it's really like now the Googs and the Amazons, like, like not being able to get traction. So underneath there is some traction. I think the cloud stuff is the weakest. Um, the private markets are weaker than the public markets because uh, there's just such an oversupply of capital. Um, and so many companies got funded that probably shouldn't. So that's going to take longer to clean up. And that's it's kind of why the you know cash in the public markets seem better than the private markets right now. But that's not a horrible look. You're saying that's not a horrible looking chart anymore. It's not so much that it's not a horrible looking chart. It's that if you're only looking at the price of the index, you're not realizing that most stocks already bottomed uh, a year ago. You know, they most stocks yeah. have already been going up for a long time. People are like, oh, JC, when's yeah. the market going to bottom? It's like, bro, that was like three quarters ago. If you're only looking at the index, of course you think it's a bear market, but it's 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 been the furthest thing from a bear market uh, there is, is really the reality of the matter. That's what this chart shows, because we're looking at the new highs minus new lows plotted below, and there just aren't any stocks making uh, new lows. Quite the opposite. You're getting... You're getting a new 52-week high in the amount of new 52-week highs. There are way more stocks making new highs now than there were when the S&P and the Dow and the NASDAQ were making all-time highs at the end of 2021. You're getting way more stocks making new highs now. And even within tech, you talk about technology, Howard, the leadership is in the least tech of all of them in semiconductors, which at the end of the day is much more cyclical in nature more commodity oriented is semiconductors in the same way that industrials and materials and energy stocks look at these oil services stocks continuing to make new multi-year highs despite crude oil having a 40 percent correction that's a ton of strength and semis yeah doing as well as they're there doing. yeah i will comment uh jc just because i have to on that the semiconductors are being now driven by what is no longer cyclical in an age of compute in an age of ai forgetting who the winners of ai are the machines right now are the ultimate winners and you know i'm watching amd and nvidia now at the top of my semiconductor stream because who benefits the most from ai it's the people selling the equipment because the machines are now in charge so as little as i followed nvidia and amd over the years i mean if anytime i hear ai the, the, the closest two companies uh, that, that feel to me in semiconductor and then Goog like I still like even though it's, it, the charts like shit I'm, I'm buying the weakness here I just think they're in so much more control than people say um, and so for me that's tech to me is Google and the machines right now but like JC says man Europe anything without tech is working better than anything with tech for the most part. Uh, one one other chart, JC, like that stands out, because I think it was a quiet one, and then I want to talk about the Fed and interest rates. Yeah, take a look at European banks uh, continuing to make new 52-week highs relative to U.S. banks. People are like, oh, you know, the banks, you know, financials are terrible. It's like, yeah, maybe in America, 
But when you look at Europe, when you look at Japan, you know, these Japanese banks, these European banks continue to lead the way higher. And by the way, that EUFN, one of the largest components is Credit Suisse, which has lost all of its value. So despite one of its largest components doing as poorly as Credit Suisse, European banks are still dramatically outperforming uh, U.S. stocks. And this isn't anything new. European banks rallied 26% in the fourth quarter alone. So these are not new trends. These are trends persisting. And Howard, you nailed it. You know, countries uh, in Europe that have three times the exposure to industrials or more uh, and, and a fraction of the exposure to technology, those are the ones making new all-time highs, right? That that chart, JC, looks a lot like the TL, like, looks like the long, looks like the two-year interest rate chart if you were to put up next to each other. Uh, well, the two-year has been going up for a long time. <laughs> oh, has it been? Okay. So uh, so there you have it. I, I, I think, I don't know, Ted, did you read anything? Let me introduce Ted. Ted's a good friend of mine. Uh, Ted spent 60, 70 years at Bloomberg. He was there before it started. Looks great uh, for his age. I think it was his idea. Um, he, he is a, I've had him on the pod. Uh, we talk about data. When you talk about data and analysis, he's the guy. He was there day one thinking through Twitter and Bloomberg and stock tweets and Bloomberg and how. Um, so, so we've talked about that story in my podcast before. Let's talk about fintech and AI. We talked about it a few weeks ago. You, you, you write over on LinkedIn. So people that want to follow Ted, he's got, like I said, 30 years in product at news at Bloomberg. He loves LinkedIn. He's old school. He likes to write his posts on LinkedIn. Ted, quickly, why there and not, why not share the links on Twitter and why LinkedIn? Tell us why LinkedIn. So I'll tell you, I think, actually, I think the, there's an information arbitrage on LinkedIn right now, Okay. which is there's been a huge influx of people, professionals onto the platform. Good point. And there's a dearth of high quality content. So there's a lot of content that, that is not great. That's true. But there's not much I think that's great, particularly when people tell kind of a longer story. So what I've tried mm -hmm. to do is tell, uh, I write right up to the max on the word limit, um, okay. which is 3,000 words, not a lot, but it's okay. the max. And I found a really huge appetite for deeper, more interesting things. And I think uh, that's what's happening. I mean, I could obviously put it on Twitter, but uh, I just find right now the engagement on LinkedIn is is amazing, and uh, yeah, you've think, you've uh, cracked the code. I mean, you're a great writer, and you know, one of the great thrills of my life was when Ted reached out to me. I didn't know, and he was reading my blog because Ted Ted started out as a journalist in the news side at Bloomberg. Um, you you haven't been at Bloomberg a couple of years. Where where do you think Bloomberg is around AI in this? Do you think that's like a a battle zone for them? I mean, I think most most news organizations were caught. Well, let's actually just say one thing: every news company, Bloomberg included, have have been using AI in some format for years. You know, so Bloomberg does use AI um, in a number of ways. But if you're talking about like the ChatGPT and generative AI, where you, you generate content, that's I think fell out of the sky largely for most news organizations, as it did for most companies in like October, November. I mean, it, it dropped and people were like, oh my God, what what are we gonna do, right? Including, yeah. so people, you can see most companies didn't have a plan for that. And I think media companies in general are, uh, you know, scrambling and figuring out what they're gonna do with it. I think for most media companies, it is a conundrum whether you use 
AI to generate text and to what degree. So there's, there is some automation at Bloomberg and other companies, they automate stories, but it's within a fairly narrowly defined uh, group of content. So I think they're going to try to figure that out, but I think most people are, most companies right it, now it, don't know. You know. Yeah, and where I think Google has the edge here is they're in control of hiding this stuff. If they smell AI, they could just say, listen, we think it's spam. So that's a great... Yeah. Much like they yeah. did to Yelp, right? Like, much yeah. like they did to Yelp, yeah. they can just say, this is a different version of Yelp spam, like, of right. social spam. Right. And we smell computer. Right. We smell, you know, that which means we smell fake information. And I'm sorry, like even if it's 90% correct, Google's going to have to take a stand. And that's why I think it's overblown with Google. I mean, I'm not saying they're not; it's not disruptive, and that they weren't like you just said. It fell out of the sky, and you, I mean, you are Mister. I mean, if if you admit that it fell out of the sky, now the difference is it fell out of the sky, Ted, and you were on it day one playing with it. Um, you know, I went and did my obituary on yeah. one of these Chat GPT things, and it was fucking. You know, the context was so genius because. I only had to type in five things, Ted. Yeah. So when I posted it, I was pretty like, okay, this is why I don't care about AI. And then my wife read it, and she was like, that's jinx, you can't do it. And I said, honey, this is pretty amazing. I only typed in five. And when my wife found out there was only five questions that I yeah, answered to yeah, get that, yeah. she was blown away. Yeah, that's right. Right? Like, she understood why I posted it. It wasn't posting it to see if it was funny or not. It's knowing where your context is, it's impressive. But for me, as a user, that's not even close to good enough. Yeah, it's not and good so, but at some point, like as a Bloomberg and Cap IQ and all these things, what's interesting to me, Ted, I got to ask you, is like at some point, these machines are going to read these things faster. It's going to be open to everybody. So you got to think, ChatGPT will be able to run ten Qs or ten Ks mm -hmm. and spit out information even faster than Bloomberg. So is that level a disruptive feature? Oh, it, I mean, I think it definitely is. And actually, you're bringing up something, Howard, is a good question. Is that People are all focused on what they call generative AI, which is taking text yeah. and producing a long story or a narrative, right? But I think in the financial world, particularly in the investment world, the opposite use case is going to be more powerful. So instead of generating text, it's really going to be applying ChatGPT technology to a 10K, a transcript, and basically detecting certain aspects of it, um, summarizing them and analyzing them. So think of it as part of the investment process where you're trying to understand um, how a company's communicating or what they're saying and you can run ChatGPT technology to summarize a transcript and then you can on the fly compare it with other transcripts and draw these kind of and say what are the conclusions. So that kind of an analysis, I think, is actually going to be more powerful for most financial professionals, as opposed to, say, generating uh, text. I mean, they're both kind of magical, but it's, I think this becomes part of the investment process like that. And, um, and it's example, that's an example of leveling the playing field, too, yeah. for investors that aren't necessarily super quants, like, uh, you know, like a Shaw or something like that, where now... The average or the closer to average Joe can interpret uh, data and text, uh, financial information, corporate financial information, much much faster. So that advantage, again, it's a uh, it's a boon for uh, the more sort of leveling the playing field and also for that strain of market efficiency. Well, you can flip it both ways. 
Phil, I would say no matter, even though it's leveling, it's it's also another reason why we should stand further away from the pipe, which goes to like where JC and I type to think is like, get me away from the line of scrimmage and the day trading and the noise, because while you level the playing further, you also just increase the noise. And so the further you step back from the line of scrimmage, much like as the players get bigger in football, people explode through the line of scrimmage and then they're gone. Once you get around the end, you're gone. And so I think this actually is more of a more of a reason for people, the average investor, to do less because now you're going to have a million ways to misread the information. And I think the hedge funds are going to be the fastest to realize the benefit of chat GPT, sorry, the, the benefits to this stuff. And so you can't turn off the machines. Here's the point. You can't turn off the machines. That's what led JC and I to say, you know, why semiconductors are leading and why machines are like, you can't turn off the machines. So there's two things can be true. But at the second at the second thing for the average investor, what looks like a leveling of the playing field is actually uh, something that makes that should make you think about aha I should stand further away from all this noise because there's never going to be more noise well what's interesting Howard I wonder what your thoughts about this are but the ability to gather information and, ta and um, data is going to be radically transformed like so right now the way data works let's say we're looking at, at venture capitalists making investments in let's say web 3 or some area Right now, if you wanted to know which VCs invest in a particular area, health tech, whatever, that data is painstakingly gathered by some company, whether it's Bloomberg or TechCrunch or whomever, and they put it in a structured database and they sell it to you. So what this technology opens up the possibility of doing is you, with a little program, and you do that yourself. And so you could run let's say you know your list of tweets or something every, every tweet by every VC and say okay which mention web3 and you could build a structured database and Airtable or something and say okay here's all those companies and it's that kind of data structuring I think that in the past took a ton of time and was expensive and so I mean I, it's definitely true that there's going to be errors and there's some mistakes but the sheer ability to, to gather it off the fly is going to be incredible a couple other sorry I gotta hog the, the take this away because we weren't prepared but I, I'm so happy, happy to have Ted here Ted I got a couple other questions that selfishly here Twitter closes down you you're Bloomberg you cut the, you helped with your team put together the Twitter deal you helped put together the stock Twitter deal I you know I talk about this all the time it's one of the greatest non-publicized genius uh, you're, you're you're bashful and not like an ego driven maniac but like one of the smartest like clutch you know, not you know, not known moves in the industry is getting ingesting Twitter uh, for the Bloomberg users, right? Like, and we can, you know, I don't want to like cause any problems here, but seeing now Twitter shut it off. I have my thoughts of what that does for for data. What is he thinking, just from a data perspective? My gut is he's going to become the largest hedge fund in the world and trade against the machine, even though he'll never admit that. I mean. And it increases, it's, it's two things. He knows how valuable the data is, and he's cutting off everybody until he figures it out or never will open it again. And, you know, I'm just playing, you know, open baseball here. Secondly, it makes StockTwits' data. Something I always hated was that when they sold, when Twitter sold you the data, it cheapened everybody else's data that Bloomberg could ever get. Because if Bloomberg has Twitter's data, who cares? They have the hot button. 
and it cheapens everything around it. Uh, you, you don't have to admit yay or nay on that. But now that Twitter has cut it off, they they what do you think it means? I, I, I don't know, but it's like it's a giant disruptor. And the question is whether he's going to... Is he trying to restructure it and sell it again at a higher price because it's ever more valuable if it's less available? I, I don't know. I mean, I... It's, it's, if you were running his service in Gannett, if you were chirping in his yeah, ear, yeah, yeah, and 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 you're not having to worry about the stock price, yeah, and he comes to you and says, "Ted, you cut the original deal." Yeah, would you say, Elon? I think for six months, cut it off and let's see who yells the loud. I would say, cut it off, see who yells the loudest, and then just start jacking the price, whether that's Goldman or Citadel or hedge funds or Bloomberg. Uh, as as what would you try and advise him on? Well, yeah, if profit six months profit weren't the goal. So I mean, I think the thing you have to realize is that Twitter is like a giant warehouse, and when you do a deal with Twitter, you're allowed to walk into the warehouse and, and sort of take whatever you want. But the stuff is not organized at all; it's all over the place. So the way unstructured, it's completely unstructured. You don't have any idea what's valuable. Most customers are going to want to say hey, I want to buy this or I want to buy that. And so the problem Twitter has is they didn't make the investment to structure a product. I mean, imagine if you walk into a supermarket and everything's mixed up. You're like, I'm not going back to that supermarket. So there's only a small number of um, firms or hedge funds that have the resources to take a feed that's unstructured, clean it up and, and provide insight and value. I mean, a normal business would have said, okay, we're going to organize this and then we're going to sell lots of different feeds all over the place to different people for different, you know, different prices and values. But it's hard to say with Twitter because it's not organized whatsoever. And you don't know where to start. Just incredible and, and what we tried little, to do, Phil and I, what just, Phil and I tried to do was around the dollar side, structuring it around intent. Hashtags were one aspect, hashtags were another. Phil, you were going to say? It's just incredible how profoundly incredible how little Dick and Jack did during their 10 years there. Because, you know, Ted, what you're talking about there is like such a no-brainer, such a such a, a clear cut. I mean, now that you said it, it's like, yeah, obviously. You know, like you walk into a Costco and it's a warehouse, but you know where yeah. the meats are, you know where the eggs are, you know where, it's like, it's structured. So there's like sections. And it's like if you took that that Twitter information warehouse and just structured it slightly and said, oh, okay, you're a news organization, you go right over there, you're going to see what's breaking on the news site. Oh, you're a, you know, financial organization over here, you know, you're going to have that. Inf it would be, it would, it, 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 the, the entree for that business would have been... Okay, I, I get used it, to, walking in, any corporation. Well, Phil, you were there at Structus. I used to go to Ted, oh. but I used to go to Fred Wilson. I used to go to um, Dennis Crowley at Foursquare. I used to go to E-Trade. I used to go to uh, Dick Costello. I used to go to Jack and Ev. And I said, guys, you were sitting on, you know, especially with the open API and TweetDeck. And now they've shut down TweetDeck and everything else. But you were sitting on the greatest warehouse, as guesses as Ted would say it, the most expensive warehouse in the world. And now your job is just to help put some kind of order there. I guess the way you were buying it, Ted, now you had to go create so. some sense of order around okay, it. So Bloomberg had to invest in engineering resources to structure that data 
so that people who were in financial markets could say, oh, I want to see all the tweets about Goldman, or I want to see all the tweets about oil. That doesn't just happen. Someone has to uh, build the infrastructure and tag those, tag those stories, those tweets, so you can search for them and, and find them. So, so so you're there now and he cuts off Twitter. Do you think he cut it off from Bloomberg or he's honoring the contract? What's I, your gut? I do. I do not know. I do not know. No, but what's your gut? You're there and you... Oh, would he, would he do that? Right. You mean, would he... Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, like, it's hard to say. I mean, he doesn't pay the rent in San Francisco. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, he doesn't pay the, the, the people to clean up in the office. I don't know. It's... Oh, no, but nice. what would happen? Like, so if he cuts it off now, Bloomberg is really like I, I don't think people understand. If he cuts that off, Bloomberg users are, yeah, they don't have access. Um, they don't have access. I mean, uh, you know, For, I mean, there's it is what it is though. If no one else has access, I mean, to some degree, yeah. Twitter's valuable because, uh, you know, as everybody has it, it's it's a thing people look at. You know, yeah. if no one had it, um, it would be less market moving too. So. Well, really, really fascinating. What else? So the LinkedIn thing, I totally agree that information arbitrage is genius. There's so many new unemployed people, and they're all there. They're there. Ahead, they're also some I movement from Twitter and stuff. You know, they're moving there. People have moved there. It's just a big, you know. Yeah. I have a quick question about that. So, um, so I'm now an entrepreneur. I'm a business owner. I'm marketing myself, and I've just begun posting stories to LinkedIn. Is there a uh, is there an advantage? Uh, 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 to writing the story native to LinkedIn relative to me just posting a link to my Substack. Yes, yes. It's it's there's a big there's a the algorithm would, would reward you to post it natively inside LinkedIn. People don't realize that, yeah. and, and 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 Ted did, and I'm too lazy. You have to go native. You there's have to all these tricks, and now even on Twitter, you can't post links. Yeah. Like you have to post natively. There's so if I, you know, so once or twice a week I do a shorter story. I'm not going to do 3,000 words because I'm already writing for myself and have my own newsletters. But if I do like a three, three, four hundred word and just put it on there natively yeah. that and it's and it's catchy. You yeah, know, I think that works. Yeah. And then people, you know what people do is they use it to advertise their link back to Beehive or Substack or whatever news uh, newsletter platform they have. So I think if you're posting on LinkedIn and you're becoming visible and saying, hey, if you like my stuff, sign up. Uh, you know, you sign up off platform, you know, via, via some other newsletter platform works, works really well. You know. Love to, it. Thank you. Just to hog Ted one more time, sorry, JC, because you're not going to care about this. Um, TikTok. I mean, you read news, you see it. What's your gut? Like, are they going to... Is Like, it feels like YouTube's working great, Shorts. It feels like... I look at my wife on reels all day. Yep. Even I on Instagram have been sucked. It's not to make offense of small people or short people. I'm fascinated by, and you can't say midget, but what's the proper word for short people, Phil? Midget. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're gonna get canceled. We're gonna get canceled. I would say, I would say, human being. Can we say human okay. being? Riley, the minute, these small human beings. Lollipop I challenged these small human, beautiful human beings. I made the mistake of going to, to watching a few of these. I am now the small human being channel, and I find oh, myself I very 
I find myself very disturbed with how who I've become, and I can't. I don't know how to turn it off. What am I supposed to go look at to turn this off, Ted? What I don't are know. We doing That's a good question, though, because I think one mistake people make. About I can't go on Instagram. Yeah, I see yeah, small yeah, people yeah. everywhere. Well, I don't want to see that many. Well, one one mistake people make about social media in general these days is they think what they see is what is there. Yeah. So just as an example, like some people are really think LinkedIn is terrible and it's a bunch of faux humble brags and all this stuff. But that's kind of who you follow and what you see. It doesn't mean everybody sees that. So it's just like Twitter, it's like you got to follow great people on Twitter to get value. Uh, and the same with TikTok. I mean, I think it, your algorithm, you have to be mindful of curating your content, curating what you consume, you know. Yeah, but I think Facebook and YouTube are like sneak catching up in some many ways. When this algorithm, you know, an algorithm is an algorithm. And Facebook has so much content and so many people and YouTube has so many content and so many people and it's working, man. They're not it's not just TikTok anymore. TikTok may be growing, but so are the others. Yeah, Facebook though. Oh, you mean if you're talking about Facebook or you're talking about Instagram, you mean Instagram. Yeah. Instagram. I mean, I, there's weird stuff going on in Instagram. Uh Riley and I were talking about it, but I you know, people are not using it the way it was built for, which I find fascinating. There are people who just post long form text, like no photos. Huh. Like, so the, the original idea with Instagram was very fashion oriented, very visual. And obviously there's a lot of that still, but there's people using it for other reasons. I mean, so the CEO of Jeffries, uh, Rich Handler, who's, you know, one of the few CEOs who's kind of big on social, he posted it up on Instagram like a week ago, and he said, any Jeffries employee who worked the weekend, DM me now and I'll take you to dinner. It was the craziest That's thing true. you've ever seen. Like, like, he didn't have to do that on social, right? He could have done that. He has all their emails, right? But yeah. it's interesting like that. And I, and I think you don't see a lot of that in business, but you're going to see more. So the platforms are all kind of converging. People use them however they use them, you know? Yeah. And what is your favorite, Ted, as a, as a news guy and a part, what's your favorite platform? Right, right. I mean, I just, uh, those three, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram, I read obsessively. Um, I have, I feel like Twitter's going a little bit back to the past or back to the future where one of the things you see on Twitter that's interesting is the best posting are these younger people who are just posting text. So there's like no pictures, there's no hashtags, there's no um, links. They just post text. And Sam Altman is like a good example. You know, Sam Altman is just lowercase text. Here's what I here's what I'm thinking about today. Yeah, that's the way you know? it used to be. It's the way it used to be. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the way I used to just like totally out of context. But now I don't trust the algo. I don't know if my stuff's being seen. So it's changed. I'm just farting but around. I, think, I should just be being my. Own I want to know what Riley thinks here, but I think I'm telling you, I think that the younger people look at it as like not cool to post hashtags and not cool to be too promotional, and they just like they just post their text. You know, I don't know. There's Have a, you talked there's about this to yeah. me? To me, it's just uh, aesthetically not pleasing to see hashtags. I know Phil and I actually used to talk about this a lot um, back with Osprey of like using hashtags and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to use hashtags because to me, it makes the tweet look ugly. Like I would rather have hashtags the tweet look good never than cool. like use they hashtags. They were never cool. They were never cool. They were never cool. Okay. Yeah, and people you see only... you see posts by people that have like ten hashtags, in, and you like you know they have no idea whatsoever how to use social media. <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a good point. 
brutal. it's a very good point. Well, Ted, I mean, I, I, please stay on. I get, you got to be a regular. This this is so fascinating to me. What's in your head, and and you're such a player with toys. Like you had to be doing this inside the beast that is Bloomberg, and no one's on the pulse of this stuff. Um, for the last 10 years as much as you. I mean, I'd like to feel that I'm there, but you and I have these great text exchanges where you find stuff that always just makes me go, wow. i got to bring up Elon Musk here because we're all fascinated with him, except for JC. So sorry, JC, this show's not for you today. I'm fascinated with him from a behavioral standpoint, Phil. So let's... I can't figure it out. Like, is he that much of a dick, Phil? Like, is it, and does that mean, does it, did the money make him a bigger dick from a psychological standpoint? Or was he just, you know, there's stories where his dad said he was a dick as a kid. Like, what what makes a person with this much power behave like such a dick? And, and by such a dick, I mean sitting with Rupert Murdoch, you know, just bullying people around, doing things that can't just be for effect. But he has to feel, he knows what he's doing. So, like, what do you see from a psychological standpoint? Well, first of all, I just want to say, talking about Back to the Future, uh, Ted something about, said something about Twitter, Back to the Future, and the way the young, young people are using it. The other thing I love there is that Twitter's going down all the time now. And so that was like old school. Remember early days on Twitter, it used to go down. We'd get the fail whale. That was like a big thing going back like 10, 12, 13 years. Uh, that's a big thing uh, now. Again, they should bring back the fail whale. And it's well, a there's the same amount of employees. I was like, oh man, it's just like the old days. You know, Twitter's Twitter went down. You can't well, post let's a stay link. Stay on topic whatever. here, Elon. Sorry, Elon. You know, listen, he's he's going to do what he's going to do, right? I mean, there are some people that are they don't care uh, what anybody thinks of them. They're going to do what they're going to do. And you could call, you know, I don't know if it's narcissism or sociopathy or just, you know, being the extraordinary individual that like is an, like sort of a Nietzschean thing, you know, to go back to philosophy where people just rise above and they don't care. You know, I mean, I remember they used to say about Reagan that he was a Teflon president and he would just brush things off and he was just tougher than most people. Most people would fold. He has that gene. That he's just like, you know, he doesn't really care. He's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, now, on the other side of that, and this is sort of the paradox of that, I'm not saying that he's not sensitive and he's not going to be hurt by criticism and that he's not going to get uh, his ego, his sensitive ego bruised. But I am saying that he's going to do what he's going to do. He's not going to give a crap about what anybody says. If he wants to turn off an API, as a matter of fact, one thing that he did at Twitter recently that I think is evil, but I also kind of respect him for it, is that he is uh, turning off two-factor auth for anybody who's not paying. And he's like, he gives you those warning dates, right? First of all, it's a dick move. But second of all, Twitter never had balls, right? I mean, Jack never had any balls. They never did anything. <laughs> we they never the monetized. Gonads. I love it. Dick never had balls. They never did anything. They never aggressively monetized. So even though I think it's a dick move in another way, I kind of have to respect it because he's basically saying, listen, I don't give a, I don't give, I don't, I don't care what you think. We're doing this. And if yeah. you want to be on here and you want to have a safe, secure account, you have to pay. Sorry. Yeah. And so and I kind of respect that. 
I didn't care what you think. He's like, fuck you. I don't care, but I'm going to do this. And if you leave the platform, adios, goodbye. You're not paying me anyway. Yeah, I think you got to break it because it was such a poorly run company with 8,000 people. Ted, like, both sides of the play here, where do you you think this goes? Well, I guess the question I have, Howard, is that, um, I mean, like, one thing Musk has shown is that you can definitely, um, I mean, you can run that company with far fewer people, obviously. Yeah, so he proved that. Okay, but what I don't understand, I mean, like, it kind of has, you go from 6,000 to 2,000, there's some number where you can't run it with. And on two fronts, I mean, there's the one question, he gutted almost everybody who generates revenue. So, like, I don't know how you generate revenue if you don't have anybody selling or almost nobody selling. There's, like, right. there's no revenue there. And then, unless he fundamentally changes the model and does something different. And then the second is the engineering. I mean, like, he, obviously, it's he, he said, you don't need, we didn't need as many engineers. But you need some engineers. <laughs> you can't have no engineers. So, I don't know how that works you know what i mean i don't see how the end game is if you've not in a position to generate top line you know uh, yeah i miss twitter as a public company you know yeah Yeah. i miss twitter as a public company only to see what the what the price would be uh you know would it because endeavor just invested i guess at a 44 billion so it's not like people aren't still writing checks to to keep twitter going uh, but anyways, uh, not to beat a dead horse, Phil. I mean, it's an interesting subject. He, that's his ability. It's like Trump to just garner kind of attention. All right, I'm putting it back in your hand, Riley. What else do we want to uh, cover today? Well, I think the main takeaway from that, Howard, is just be nice. I know you wrote about it, but like, <laughs> don't be a well, dick. Morgan, be nice. Well, well, think about everybody in this room. JC, JC can say bro and yell at somebody. I've never seen Ted be mean. Phil's yelled at me. Uh, more than my kids and Riley you're you can't afford to be you know you can't afford to even be look at us in the wrong way because you're fucking gone but like so but I think this group that we've attracted like I just saw Josh Brown look at this group we are the nicest idiots in the world and I think you can be in the financial industry in the news industry in the data industry and be nice. This is what bothers me. It's like I, I was looking at it yesterday, writing about it myself. I hate myself. I'm trying to be funny. Like, but if I go to tech meme and I go to Twitter, even though I've muted Elon Musk and I and I and I try and see what's going on, I see Elon Musk. Or I hear about Trump. Or I hear about the fucking GOP. I don't even follow any of these people. Or I hear about I just want to know the hockey score. And I just want to see what JC's saying about church. I just want to see what trends are happening. And every time I turn on the internet that I've somehow mistuned or tuned, or the internet outside of stocks, is I see stuff that just gets me mad. And so, yes, I take full responsibility for being mad. And that's why I kind of wrote, like, Morgan Housel wrote this post, like, the more successful you are, the nicer you should be. I mean, talk about a simple post, right? We're all very lucky. I see what JC is, and I've got three kids, Phil with two kids, Ted with kids. I see the way we behave and the people that we want to be around, and I don't get it. And, you know, I just don't understand how most of the people we interact with are just nice, and that everybody with money these days seems to be a bully. And uh, I can't, I, I mean, it's working. I mean, like I said, Endeavor... He's not a nice guy, Ari Emanuel. So it's a, it, the bullies seem to be attracting the bullies. 
and the nice people just keep getting fucking poliaxed with, you know, uh, neglect, and uh, it's just it's just weird. But well, like we're a group we, of nice the, guys, and we're doing be nice. Well. I think well, that's why I like the YouTube thing. Like, who cares how many people are watching it? I got to regroup with our peeps and like just really understand unemotionally yeah. how the world's working. You know, Howard, but I'll man. chime in here. You know, we're all of us here are in a position, uh, except Riley. The rest of us here are in a position where we get to pick and choose who we want to do business with. We get to pick and choose the people who quite frankly, exist on the earth. You know, because we're in such a digital world, we get to play God and we get to decide who we want to put around us, what information we want to consume, what information we want to block forever so that literally things don't exist in our world. And, you know, we really do have the ability to play God in those ways and be the puppeteer. Um, And honestly... I do that a lot, but I let some things that I don't like into my world, you know, to sort of keep me a little bit more informed, um, you know, and it's not an easy game to play, but I keep some of that and, you know, Phil laugh, you know, sometimes when I let a little bit of that in kind of on purpose, I end up regretting it and ultimately taking out of my life down the road, sort of reiterating I shouldn't have had that person in my life. Uh, or, or that particular subject matter in my life to begin with. But I do test that out uh, on occasion, and, and usually my gut tends to be right. <laughs> well, Ted, yeah. as a news guy, how do, you, yeah. how, do you, so, how do you add news to your life without being but, mad all the time? Well, actually, I should try to read as little news as possible. I think that's the, uh, the thing. I, I prefer not to read the, the... Actually, I don't read the press nearly as much. I kind of read the reflective... Mirror. I read what's on Twitter. I read what's on LinkedIn. I read people reacting it. I read. I try to read as many long form things as possible. You know, just there's a tremendous amount of analysis and research and just long posts out there. And you know, really, what's radical now is you've got, as you know from social, you've got all sorts of people like Bill Gurley and whatever just weighing in. You've got the original participants weighing in. You might as well watch and read them, as opposed yeah. to the way the press spins it. But I'd say one thing, let me draw, this is maybe not good with the political analogy, Howard, but let me draw an analogy. Uh, Trump, Trump, normalized, Trump behaved in a certain way that a lot of people found problematic, but it was, he got away with it, it was fine for him. It didn't mean that every other politician was able to get away with the same thing. So one analogy in businesses with Musk is Musk's behavior generally, firing people in the middle of Saturday, abusing you know disabled people, whatever. He seems to get away with it, but I don't think that's going to be normalized for companies. I don't think that's the future. I think companies are not going to go in that direction. I hope. So, you know, I mean, that's I so the fact that I just wouldn't draw the conclusion that because one company, one CEO, however prominent, does this, that that's you guys happen, are all you know? normal human beings. Was that an apology? That was the furthest thing from an apology. It was a weird apology because he uh, he said it, he said basically it wasn't his fault. He was given bad information. Yeah. <laughs> but he used the word apology. I would like to apologize <laughs> that I got bad information. Like, I'd like to apologize, not that I I would like to. Yeah, not that. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. He seems like a weirdo. And weirdo is not enough anymore. I can't. You can't just throw someone with that much power and call him a weirdo. I just. I think it's irresponsible by all of us. That's where I draw the line. That's why I'm fascinated and, and feel like I just want to clear my head and talk about it. Riley. What else do we got? 
Well, I want to talk to you. Um, we saw this chart of the yield curve. I, I saw you retweeted it uh, from Coifin. Do we need to talk yeah. about the yield curve at all? I, I think we can because everybody's talking about it. It means nothing to me other than it is probably predicted 100 of the last nine, nine recessions, and it's it's saying so again. And I know Ted and JC, may, Ted, JC, you probably have a technical thought on this, and Ted, you may have more of a Bloomberg-y thought about this. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the yield curve is very simple. You got three months, one month, two year, just absolutely ripping uh, much faster and harder than 10s and 30s. That's, that's the yield curve. Like, you know, if you want to interpret what that means for the economy or like what magic you know formula that means for some bear market that may or may not come like you're welcome to make up any stories you want if you're in the business of telling stories if you're in the business of making money in the market then the yield curve tells you the story that you need the the shorter end of the curve is moving up much faster than the long end of the curve that's what it is so trade your bonds accordingly like i don't know why you have to Make all these like make up all these things about recessions or stagflations or depressions. Everyone's got like aflation, right? You know, uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I just, what is the yield curve? Look at what it is. That's the information. Like trade your bonds accordingly. That's. that's it. I guess that we're saying historically that means something. Ted, did it ever mean anything to you guys? And like obviously, other than from news from page views, what, are the, what does it mean? No, I mean like news reporters are going to report it. I, I guess the one thing I'd say about information in general and people know this recessions have gotten shallower and faster over history right and i think part of that has to do with the information input so like now people are like the recession's coming so far down the pike that companies start firing immediately it's like almost like so the recession every recession seems to get shallower and faster some of them probably may not even come because like way in advance you're like there's going to be something happening we're going to cut ten thousand people and it just, you know what I'm saying, everybody's reacting very fast because the level of information uh, that's available is uh, somewhat more immediate. I think that's important. I mean, that's a good point. When we finally get the recession, it could be the recession that was supposed to happen two years from now that happened because everybody was reacting to the recession that the yield curve was predicting. So that, I think, is the best point. So JC's right and Ted's right. All right, anything else, uh, Riley? I do want to talk with Phil about he, he had a tweet this morning he said we lost touch with how we feel this is a defining characteristic of the standard American culture emotion introception and intuition tune into these three on the path to wisdom Phil wow. what sparked your interest in this he's doing I mean, peyote again obviously <laughs> I don't like the peyote. peyote I'm on the peyote right now it's the only way I can get through this uh, with you with this with this crew here um, no, well, here's the thing. So the world that we're living in right now, everybody is super intellectualized. Everybody is up in their head, right? So I'm saying, uh, get your get your get your get your ass out of your head, right? And tune in to how you feel because that is really the seat of experience. And you can look at it as a superpower if you're tuned to how you're feeling uh, these days. Am I hungry or am I sate? Am I cold? Am I hot? Am I sad? Am I happy? What is bubbling up? What's the creative intuition bubbling up? If I'm tuned to that, there is so much uh, alpha in that. There's so much profundity in being tuned in. And we're very, 
you know, I use the word tune. That's really the word. We're tuned into that or are we discordant? Are we out of tune with that? I think there's, I think it's a very, very powerful thing. And when I look at our culture, we are living right now in a, in a toxic culture, standard American culture. We're out of tune in many, many different ways. And one of these ways is that we're out of tune uh, with how we feel. Um, I'm going to write a post uh, in the next couple of weeks about uh, getting in tune. There was that Who song, Getting in Tune. Um, I'm writing these words because they fit in well with the, the or I'm, I'm, I'm playing this tune because it fits in well with the words I'm singing or something like that. Yeah, great I'm, song. I'm, I'm going... Great song. I think, I'm going there. I think what you're saying, Phil, is routine. Everybody in this, including Riley with golf and now work, is it's a routine-driven. The people that do best have routines. Obviously, there's outliers, but the average, whether it's waking up and, like you said, getting some sunshine first thing and doing a walk and then having your coffee, it's just some kind of routine. It's not perfect. I think as people get... That's why the markets have always been so good for me. It's just it opens at the same time every day, other than 9-11. Um which really was a defining moment for many people into depression and other things, including me with sleep, um, because my routine was off for weeks. But, you know, the markets are a great routine. You know, obviously it's not for everybody, but, like, the faster people build a routine, um, the best people at their jobs have these vigorous, rigorous routines. And, of course, they put different inputs in and they mess things up once in a while, but they're general. There's three or four hours a day that are just routine to them. And that creates success. But yeah, this feeling stuff, I mean, it's such a tough word, but... uh, I do have a follow-up question. And this is something I've just been noticing on my own self, Phil, is I feel like when I wear my AirPods for a long duration during the day, like, I am just a different person. Like, my anxiety goes up. I just, like... I feel like a cloud is just on my brain. Have you ever noticed anything like that? I don't know how much you wear your AirPods, but like maybe it's Bluetooth headphones in general, just like goofing with my brain waves. I think it affects us more than we realize. I think it affects our, you know, our hearing, uh, you know, our senses are directly connected to our brain, right? I mean, look where our ears are. Look where our eyes are. They are wired right to the brain. And so I think that there's no question about that. I mean, I try to wear them for shorter periods of time, and I do really mostly music and really don't listen to many podcasts. I, I, I neglect that a lot. I think that's, even though I think that's I think unless you're listening, unless you're listening to a podcast, not to disparage, disparage us, that it make me laugh like Conan or Smart, like where people are goofing on each other, I mean, you can do some damage. The uh, By the way, the other thing, Phil, like me, I'm wearing these two-time... Uh, Speaking of old age, don't, the longer you can hold off wearing two-time magnifier, are those two-time magnifiers, Ted, or are those your pres- prescription? I think we lost Ted, or did we lose me? Did he mute no, himself? So I muted myself. I'm sorry. These are, these nice. Howard, these are readers, a, readers, not yeah, uh, prescription. Dude, let me just tell you the worst rabbit hole you could ever go on. I'm 57, finally added readers. I'm going to be at like seven times magnifier in like two months. What number are you at? I'm at um, I'm at two, two and a half. Yeah. Uh, a two, two and I've half. got a long way. I, dude, I am telling you, man, it is a fucking... So, uh, Riley, Phil's right. That's it a whole other racket. Howard, is the, the cost of readers. 
readers used to be two dollars at Dwayne Reed. Now they're like a hundred dollars at Warby Parker. No, they're not. No, you can. I have never paid more than twelve. For okay, now we're starting to get into an old man talking about this is some boomer shit going on right here. This is where you and I. This is this is where I come in and and start shifting the conversation. I'm going to bring it down. I'm going to bring the age. Can I do this? Can I bring the age down a little? Yeah, Conversation. So we're recording this on what March the eighth. So that means tomorrow, Thursday, is March the 9th, uh, which is the, the anniversary of the passing of uh, Brooklyn poet Christopher Wallace, uh, known to many as the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, uh, the Black Frank White, and, and all sorts of uh, many, many other nicknames uh, that he gave himself uh, and he's been given over the years. So what we do, and I've been doing this for, man, 10, 12 years at least. Phil and I were laughing about it the other day. On March 9th every year, I invite the family over, friends over, and we have a T-bone steak, cheese eggs, and Welch's grape. It is a tradition in my household for many, many years. We have sort of have our own variation where, you know, instead of a T-bone steak, we can afford the whole porterhouse. So we, you know, we, we feel like Biggie would be okay with that change. You know, we, we, we get fancy with the cheese eggs. We make like a frittata sort of situation. And this is all Perlman approved. As long as the, the Welch's grape is diet, Welch's uh, is okay. Uh, if you convert that Welch's into wine, like we like to do red wine, one glass, two glasses, not the end of the world. So uh, March 9th, the celebration, Perlman approved. Am I right, Phil? Big Papa. Big Papa. I don't, uh, the, uh, all right, so we're going to have yeah. an idea. Uh, uh, Ted, you don't have to. Uh, I, I'm stuck with the few ideas that, I, that are working still. Interactive Brokers and Axon. Goldman came out with a, a buy now on Axon. It's kind of run a lot, but I don't have any fresh ideas. I think JC's covered it. It's industrials. It's, I'm not buying European banks. I'm too busy. Um, but, you know, hit up JC hit up uh, for some ideas but what yeah about Warren Buffett? I think the, hold on I think what? I think JC and Phil shared an idea with me earlier and then if yeah, Warren Buffett just bought um, yesterday Warren mm-hmm. Buffett filed um, last night uh, the filing came out he bought another two and a half or three and a half billion he bought uh, it was three and a half billion dollars worth of Occidental Petroleum and it's funny because uh, late last week early this week we were like hey this is in the Buffett zone Every time we dip below 60 in, in Oxy, Warren Buffett's buying. We know that because we have the filings. You can see all those circles there. Those are all the times he's bought before. You can see every time it dips below 60. So we were like, you know, last week we're like, yo, it's below 60. You think Uncle Warren is buying? And sure enough, last night the filing comes in, another $3.5 billion and a ton of Warrens too. So Warren Buffett keeps buying. He owns over 30% of the company already. Uh, he has permission to buy up to 50% of the company so for me, the trade is very simple. Warren Buffett is literally support. Like when you talk about support and resistance, he is support. Uh, so as long as we're above 60, uh, I like this long. I think yeah, I think it goes over 100. You know, you got another 60, 75% of upside at least. Um, and that's yeah. just this year. So 60 bucks is my level. If we're above that, uh, I like this very, very long along with Uncle Warren. Well, I kept my same ideas. Ted and I would also say hoard. When you see, when you go into Osco, check the prices of readers, and if you see the dip below ten dollars, buy the rack. Just carry, just take the rack, and don't even count how many are in there, and just just have them run the fucking scanner and buy sixty pairs of those, and then sell them on eBay. Is what we're saying. Dark web. They're going top dollar. 
Well, listen, if I don't have my glasses, it is a dark web. So I, <laughs> that's a good one. So I got one. I got a stock tip for you guys too. Oh so, my God. It's uh, not, we don't call them I know, tips, I know, so. I know. But when you hear what it is, you're, you're going to laugh. So it's here's what you do. Miner. Mexican, yeah, I'm going, uh, yeah, high beta uh, gold miners. No, 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 no. Really, if you have money sitting in cash right now and you don't go to your brokerage and figure out oh, yeah. what they have in shorter duration bonds or CDs, then you're doing yourself a disservice because you can go on Fidelity or one of these types of platforms and you could buy a one-year uh, a one-year uh, 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 government bond or a CD for f over 5% right now. So if that money's yeah. just going to be sitting in cash anyway. So I have money that I, you know, I'm like, okay, this is my cash allocation. And I went on, uh, and I've done this already. This is a, a second round. But I went on uh, to my brokerage and I bought uh, some CDs in multiple accounts at 5.25% for one year, you haven't been there in a long time. And if you're just going to have it in cash anyway, you know, I mean, you, you, you're you going to make a lot more money than you just have it sitting in the savings or a money market or a cash account. Right, That's Ted, great. You want to you fire off an idea? I literally was doing uh, what Phil has <laughs> just said uh, yesterday. So recommend it um great minds ted great minds. but i'm curious phil do you have a thought between the cds versus the treasuries versus i don't know you can pretty much get close to the number in money market in my opinion you can go to max my interest you know bias but you can just you can go, go buy the vanguard at 4.2 percent daily liquidity mm -hmm. thing i will say a this. little bit What's i will that? say this because i i picked up some i bonds um two days ago if you go to Treasury Direct, and I'll link this in the show notes, but you can get a Series I savings bond for six point eight nine percent. How liquid is that? Though? Like, how liquid is that? You you have to hold it for a year. Oh, that's a fucking real number. It's a big number. It's, real. it's yeah. great. This that's is really number, happening, man, and it's for great. Just doing nothing. Yeah, but you're 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 capped on on how much of those I bonds you can buy, though. Okay. You are. Think, you are. Yeah. yeah. So depending on your overall portfolio, it might not be a big piece, um, but, yeah. it, it, but it, could Vanguard, be, it could be a piece. Yeah, I, I just just make the call and demand the service that you, at least four percent. There's too many people that are earning point one, and even on ten grand, it makes a difference over a year. It's exactly. a couple extra of uh, bond bonds. All right, gentlemen, we cool. we went a little long as usual, but it's okay. It was a great Ted. Great to have you. You got to be a reg. Yes, thank you, and, Ted. Uh, you know, I don't think, listen, we usually like having JC talk to most, but listen, the markets are in a kind of a quiet zone. The same stuff. I like that part where you were talking about how Dick had no balls. I thought that was funny. <laughs> I will no say this next all week. All Dick, no balls. Next week, we are celebrating a birthday for All Star Charts. So JC will have the mic. 40? Oh. Are you number 40? No, All Star Charts turns 12. Sick. Oh, the actual blog. Yeah, the blog is so sick. More. Fuck the blog. We Dude. don't even know what's <laughs> next. The blog isn't his anymore. Chateau Fibonacci. All right. Gentlemen, Ted, thanks for joining us, buddy. Thanks for having yes, me. Thank you, Ted. Take care. Thanks, friends. Adios, fellas. We'll see you all next guys. week. Adios.